Welcome once again to the Oilers Rig Radio. My name is Sean, and as always, I'm with Jay. Jay, how's it going? Good. How are you, Sean? How was your all-star break? Good. Yeah, it was good. I uh, uh, I confess I, I didn't watch. Uh, actually, I, I, I watched part of the, um, you know, Dry Saddle McDavid's game. But then once it was clear that that was, that was done, all I, and the night before, I, all I watched was the, uh, the fastest skater. How about you? Yeah, I, I took in the skills competition. I thought that was uh, pretty good. I thought it was really cool to see the, uh, like the top end female competitors into that. I think that's a great idea. I think they need to do that more going forward because uh, it was pretty impressive. I got to ask you a question about that. I thought it was awesome that the girls were in it. Um, you know, and the fact that, uh, you know, with the, 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 the event that um, the gal tied dry settles time or just beat dry settles time in the passing. And then obviously the skating, you know, where, where they're on a skill basis. I mean, they're, they're, they're keeping right up there with the men and, and I thought it was really entertaining and it added to the, you know, it added to the game or the, the experience. Um, but my question for you is, I, I, you know, there was some blowback, it seemed, on, uh, uh, on, on social media, um, you know, about it. And I, I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I don't, I don't know where the blowback would have came from, really. I, like, I didn't hear too much about that. I heard the biggest controversy was the fact that there was a prize money issue that they weren't going to give um, the prize money to the, the gal that actually won the fastest passer, who actually, like, won the competition. But then I guess CCM stepped in and, and took care of that. So that's good. No, it, thought, was more you know, on, it was more on uh, what I was talking about on, on the social media, you know, for the last lack of better way of putting it, sexist comments about you know they shouldn't be in it and 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 that and uh, sort of in that vein, um, which I just found really surprising because I I can't even see why that would be a thing. But you know. yeah, no. Overall, I I thought it was good. Um. Now speaking of the All Star Weekend, McDavid wins the uh, fastest skater, and. I threw a suggestion out there because the guy who won the AHL fastest skater, uh, a guy by the a player by the name of Anthony Greco, who plays for the uh, Florida Panthers affiliate in Springfield, uh, he actually beat McDavid's time. So of course I, you know, I watched the highlight and and I had looked him up on HockeyDB, and sure enough, he's a right-handed, right shot, sorry, a right shot, right winger, 25 years old. Scored uh, 29 and 29 goals in 75 games in the AHL last year. 18 goals in 47 games so far this year. So basically on the same pace as he was last year. And I just threw it out to I think uh, to yourself and and two other guys. And I got some negative responses on that one. And I thought my suggestion was like you know would he be worth a shot if you could get him for a mid round pick? And I thought what the heck for a look see this right handed shot right winger who at least as a goal scorer in the AHL level, like why wouldn't you bring him in just to see, especially when the Oilers are in the cap situation they're in? What do you think? Well, I agree. I agree with where you're coming from, from it, but I also agree where the negative side of that comes from is that we already have a team full of AHL players. Not very good ones. 
Yeah, but to say that if he's going to be able to transfer those skills over the NHL, it doesn't always work that way. No, but I would, Actually, even, it, I would even challenge you there because, I mean, if we're talking about giving up, like, say, a fourth rounder, do you know what the odds are that that fourth rounder even plays a game in the NHL? Yeah, that's true, but right? I, I don't really, I don't really think that that player will be given up for a fourth rounder, though. Well, I mean, he's already twenty-five, right? Uh, doesn't look like he was drafted. So, yeah, he's put up numbers in the AHL, but that that, that doesn't just to what you just said. That doesn't mean he's going to come into the NHL. What my suggestion was, because the Oilers are in a really tough cap situation, like newsflash, right? Like, like I'm, you know, not that everybody listening to this doesn't already know that. You're going to have to get creative because they've got some contracts that, and I know people will say, well, you know, Phaneuf's contract got made, got got moved, or this guy's contract got moved. But it's going to be, it's going to be difficult. And, you know, if you can get a guy like this Greco, let's see, chances are he's going to be at the league minimum. And he's probably, his contract's probably not in very long term if it's, you know, and you give up a fourth round pick that, uh, pick to have a look-see. And let's say he turns into uh, a 10 to 15 goal guy next year. And people will say, well, he's only scoring 10 to 15 goals. Have a look at the roster. There's not many other guys scoring 10 to 15 goals. Right? No, I agree with you there. And how are you going to pick up goal scoring when you don't have any cap space? Our, our, wingers, our wingers combined on the first two lines. <laughs> Let's see here. Lucic, five. Ratty, three. Reader, zero. So other than Chase on, you know, but combined Lucic, Reader, and Ratty, they don't have 10 goals this year. Right? So I'm not so... like, it wasn't <laughs> like I'm like, hey, we should give up Paul Yarvey on our first pick for this guy because he won the fastest skater in AHL. That's not AHL. That's not what I was saying. What I was saying is, you know, if you could pick him up for a fourth rounder, I'd even probably consider it for a third rounder, depending on how deep that particular draft is, right? Um, but I, think, I understand this this year's is supposed to be kind of deep, so I don't know. But I'm just thinking, like, what the hell? You know what I mean? Like, he can't be worse than what we have right now. Yeah, I can see. I mean, you make it. You make a strong case with it. I I just like I said. It just be it. It almost be kind of just morally dragging, morality dragging. If we just brought in someone else that was supposed to be the you know Lord and Savior from the AHL. No, but he's not supposed to be the Lord and Savior. I think if people think he's the Lord, I'm just saying. Hey, if if if, if I read, and not, and again, this is you know not that we have a source. This is an actual trade rumor. This was just something I thought of. Um, but you know, if I read tomorrow that they traded a third round pick for this guy. I wouldn't lose my mind about over it. I wouldn't be on raging on the comment well, board or the nation or on we've, Twitter. We've made worse trades. Yeah, I mean you're talking. A oh, little 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 note for today's tonight's game. By the way, <laughs> we have uh, Manning is a healthy scratch, and Kajula is on the starting line with Taze and uh, Kane. So there's that. <laughs> you know what? For me. Um... Switching topics, but uh, I, I the Shirelli era is over, and, and I don't I don't need to keep rehashing. I mean, what's done is done, and 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 you know, because if you, if you, there's been so many awful moves made in the last number of years, I mean, you could really 
you could really lose sight of the fact, and ah, this brings something up. This is a nice segue into something I want to talk about. You could really lose perspective of the fact if the Oilers win tonight and the Canucks lose, they're one point out of a playoff spot. I agree. Right? I mean, for years, all we said is we wanted meaningful games in the new year, right? And that's a lot of fans were saying that. And here we are on February 4th or 5th or whatever the day is today. And the Oilers could finish the day one point out of a playoff spot. And I think that there was something that McDavid said during the All-Star break. Uh, I think it was that during his interview at the All-Star game. Um, he said, I think it gets lost that we're three points out of a playoff spot. And... Uh, well, because they haven't on. been playing very well, Sean. No. They're, we are lucky to be... If this was last year, we would not be in the position we're in. We have a very underperforming you, Western Conference in general. But the point, the, point, the point I'm making is, and what McDavid was making, is like we're three points out, right? And as of tonight, we could be one point out. And, you know, I read, I read a lot and, and listened a lot on the radio and callers in, and, um, you know, you, they, they shouldn't sell the farm to try and uh, – make the playoffs this year. And I would agree with that. I mean, I would absolutely agree with that, but I don't want them to start tanking. Do you think that um, kind of in this vein of conversation, but do you think that the reason they're putting Lucic on the first line is to showcase it? No, I, I, Not on a Ken Hitch- Hitchcock team, no. That's what I thought. But it's like, I'm, I'm trying to figure out our top six for tonight, and I'm trying to wrap my head around it. Uh, I mean, it looks like what he's been doing, and I and I can't remember, I think it was David Staples on the Call to Hockey that I was reading this, and I agree with him. Um, it, he's been consistent with his lines since they've, they've come back, at least is trying to be more consistent with his lines. And it looks like he's trying to go with strength down the middle and to see if he can get some of these sleeping wingers going. And then at times in the last couple of games, then he goes back to, you know, dry settle McDavid and that. But, um, I mean, I can understand at five on five and I can understand what the coach is attempting to do is, is can we light a fire on under anyone? And by a fire, I mean one goal every four or five games. Right. So I, that, that's, that's my reading on that. I can't see, um, Hitchcock handcuffing himself on purpose. And fairness to Lucic, he has been better over the last number of games, right? So, yeah, that's just interesting. Just just an interesting top six that he's been rolling with. But um, I, I don't know. It's the last couple of games has been you know pretty much snatching snatching <laughs> snatching defeat from the draw, jaws of victory, as we call it. <laughs> and uh, you know. It, I guess I, I don't know what it is. Is maybe maybe I, I feel a sentiment of a lot of Oilers fans out there where they've just they've watched this year just be so bad that yeah we should be really excited that we're one we'd be one point out of a playoff spot. But this team has a lot. This team looks worse this year than they did last year. It's just so bizarre. It's the weirdest thing. Can't even explain it. No, I you know and 
I mean, I can't on, on, on its face, I can't disagree with anything you're saying. I just think that coming into this year, and I'd have to go back to the, listen to the first podcast you and I did, but I don't recall ever expecting them to make the playoffs. Yeah. So fast. Well, there's a lot of things on that first podcast that probably didn't age well either. So yeah, but, I'm pretty sure I said that Ratty was going to be a 30 goal scorer this year. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you know, so my expectations this year were that the Oilers wouldn't be in the playoffs, right? And here we are <clears throat> in February, and they could finish the day 1.0. Yeah. So what I'm interested. So just let me finish that thread. So what I'm saying is, you know, if you would have told me back when we recorded that first one or, you know, during training camp that we'd be one and ask me the question, if we were one point out on February 4th, would you be happy with that? I would have been absolutely thrilled. And now all of a sudden it just feels like, and and I've been guilty of it too. um, But kind of missing the plot, like, do you do you want playoffs or not? Like we, we we complained about not being in the playoffs for so long, and you know we could still make it this year. And I know everybody puts the projections on how many games that they've, they've got to win and how many points they've got to get. The reality is they've got to be better than the teams that they're in that pack with. It doesn't right. The projections really don't mean anything as long as they're better than those teams. They're going to get in. So I just think that I don't know. I just feel like being more positive about it because it's just. Everywhere you look, there's just manufactured outrage. So I don't know. Maybe I just needed hockey to be fun again. Yeah. Well, it should be an interesting game. With Clefbaum suiting back up, that's going to be a real question to see if uh, Larson's game comes back together with the fact that, you know, Clefbaum and Larson, you know, that top pairing is actually back together. I'm interested to see if that's going to actually move the needle here and see if it gives us a little bit more of an opportunity to win some more of these games. On the Clefbaum. Clef bop. <laughs> Clef bop. On the clef bomb topic. You know, you constantly hear the Oilers don't have a legitimate number one defenseman. So, you know, there's 30 teams in the league. Every team has a number one defenseman, at least minutes wise, right? What range do you think you have to be in to be considered a legitimate number one defenseman. Is it in the top 10? And I'm talking of defensemen, right? So the top 10, the top 20, the top 15, like where would that fall for you? Like what, what guys would you say are legitimate top pair D guys? Well, when I think of top pairs, I look at, you know, I look at, uh, of course, everyone looks at Burns. They look at Carlson. Um, they look at uh, even McAvoy on, uh, on Boston's coming along. Um, you look at Hedman, you look at, um, so how many is that know, so far? You got two on, you got two on San Jose, one on Boston. You got Hedman. Did I miss anything? So you got four so far. Yeah. Um, to name a bunch off. So you got Riley in, in Toronto, I think would kind of, would definitely qualify for that. Okay. Um, you know, Weber, Weber on Montreal. Consistently year over year, when he's healthy, he's in the conversation. You got mm-hmm. Subban, you got Yossi in Nashville. That's unfair that we've got two teams in our conference already that you've mentioned that, according to you, have two number one defensemen. But anyway, keep going. 
Well, and that's but that's how their teams are being built now. And like San Jose sacrificed a lot to. Well, I'm, I'm not know. disagreeing. I'm not saying that they're not. I'm just saying that like you know. I would almost be argued. I would almost. Got... <laughs> I would almost argue that there are three San Jose Shark with um. I don't. I don't think there's enough. There's enough offensive plastic though. Yeah, but again, he still he would still be considered into the top pairing. Oh, absolutely. Like, and quite honestly, like Boston is so deep. Again, I'm going to bring up Krug again. Is that Krug has almost double the numbers that a cleft bomb has, and according to your friend in Boston, there he's like uh, in in Boston he's a low pairing, he's a four five or or five six defenseman. Uh, but I where think, his I, numbers would here's his numbers actually would um, eclipse and double any of our defensemen. My understanding with Krug though is he's that classic guy you play on your third pair, but is an offensive specialist. So if he's having a really good year on the power, I mean, I I don't know. Well, that's I don't, similar I don't to what happened when we had with enough, Schultz, but... and and I get and I get that too. Well, let's look at so there's another one. Latang had a beauty of a goal the other day, but again, you know, so, okay, Drew Doughty. So back to my question: Would you say we're probably looking? We're probably getting over ten now. So would you say they'd have the guy would have to be in the say the top fifteen defensemen in the league, right, to be considered a legit like top fifteen, maker? top twenty, yeah. I'm not. I didn't have anything else following that. I was just. I'm just curious because I thought you know, because I would say that is Clefbaum in the top thirty defensemen in the league. Uh, he'd definitely be in the top thirty-five. I think if he could actually be healthy for an entire year, he might have a chance of that. I. The problem is, is that the entire time with Clefbaum here, I have not seen an entire, almost a full season. We look at it. Look at it here. All right, so, okay, so I lied. So the year we went to, like, so the 2016-2017 season where we went to the playoffs, right? Mm-hmm. He played 82 games. Um, 2013-14, played 17, played 60, 2014-2015, 30, 2015-2016, 2017-2018, only 66 games. He's at 31 games this year. So an interesting stat is, is that, yes, the year that we made the playoffs, he was actually healthy. Mm-hmm. But he has not been able to put another 82-game season together. No, you know, in some, sometimes it's just about luck. Because, I mean, I don't – obviously, I don't think it's a, a conditioning problem with him. <laughs> no, I don't say. I don't say so. I don't. I don't think that's the case at all. I just, he's had. He's had some bad luck. He had to have an ankle. His ankle had to be rebuilt. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's one of his injuries. But he's had shoulder problems, and he's just he plays it. He plays a heavy game, so it ends up that way. You know, this last one was a blocked shot. Well, of course you can't. You know, I'm just telling you is that, you know, but even like so, his 82 game season that we made the playoffs, he had 38 points. Hmm. 12 goals, 26 assists. Not bad. Would no, I say, I, would I say it falls into the a top D? Don't think so. Like on a, ideally on a, on a deep team, he's, he's, he's your, your feature guy on your second pair. Right. And, but I, you know, I, I think that, He's our number one, and I think that, uh, you know, obviously, and you just said it, like, he goes, he, 
plays the full season <clears throat> a couple of years ago. We make the playoffs. He goes down a couple months ago, and then the Oilers go through a a painful, a really painful stretch, right? Um, Let me ask you this: Do you think that if there was a if you looked at the potential scale, would you think that Darnell Nurse has a better chance of being a number one defenseman? I can't answer that because I, you know what, I'll be honest with you, I still can't tell you what I think of Darnell Nurse. Because he teases so much. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I remember, I think it was two seasons ago. And I I want to say they were playing Detroit. Might not have been Detroit. Anyway, he got the puck just inside our blue line. Ripped down the left wing. Got to the top, about the top of the circle and just rifled a shot. Uh, scored, a, scored a goal. And just in that one play, you, the, the speed... The athleticism, the shot, you know, and you think, oh boy, this guy could be just like here's our number one guy, right? But then you go through, he would go through long stretches where he was just kind of okay, right? And again, this year, Clefbaum goes down. He so you know he starts working on the power play. He's looked good, but again. And his mids have kept going. And he, I guess he is getting more consistent, but you know what I mean? Like, he just... So, not to throw to a bunch of stats your way here, yeah. but um, last year, he played 82 games and he had 26 points. He's currently, this season, at 52 games at 26 points. So, he's already... If he gets one more point this year, he's already done better than his last season. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of hockey left still. There's still a fair amount of games left. So this is going to be his best offensive year, sure. Yes, this is going to be his best offensive year. And, you know, so Clefbaum is 25, Nurse is 24, one year behind. Um, I don't know. I If I was to pick between the two of them, I think Dar- Darnell Nurse, personally, I think he has more upside. Oh, I, I would agree. I mean, I, I just... <clears throat> You know, Darnell's a little bit more nasty, and I think there's a little bit more athleticism with Darnell. Um, and I, I think that if Darnell put it all together, you know, he could be, you know, a defenseman in that top 20, right, that we were talking about. Well, and I feel too good. you got to keep in mind, like, he's he's only been playing four years really fully in the NHL. Any kind of capacity. How many games played while you got his stats up? 249 games. Yeah, the so NHL. they always kind of – I mean, I think that, you, you know, you always hear the 200-game mark is kind of – so he's just getting into that He's that just range. starting with defensemen, especially they take longer, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I would I would have a higher prediction that he's going to probably continue an upward trend at least for the next two to three years. He has the potential to, to reach that, you know. A lot of – and a lot of – you notice a lot of those number one defensemen, there's one common thread with those guys, Sean. They're all in their late twenties. Yeah. None of them are these like, you know, there's, there's going to be a couple of examples. I think Oliver Ekman Larson probably is in the conversation and I think he's younger than some of them, but he's more an exception as opposed to the rule. Right. Well, that, Dal- that, that, you- that Darlene in, in, uh, in Buffalo, when he, when, when we, the others played him a few weeks ago, uh, I know Buffalo didn't have a great game, but man, does that guy got tools. Holy cow. He's yeah, gonna, for sure. he's gonna be he's gonna be there, 
he's going to be up in that in that upper echelon before he's 25 just because he's just give that gift to think. yeah and again but but again he we would we can agree that it would be the exception as opposed to the rule Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And most sure. of these, most of these guys, like, you know, the dowdies of the world, even they took like, they started off great careers, but they really started to hit their, their stride in their, in their later twenties. And then like five or six years in, in, in being in the top. Right. Mm. So same with the Duncan Keefs and Seabrooks and all those guys too. Right. Yeah. So, and now you're starting to see the opposite with them is now they're, they're getting to an age where they're starting to tail off. Right. So. It's interesting. It's interesting to see where the future is with our with our D. But I would say between the two of them, I think Nurse has a bigger upside than Clefbaum. I'm just going to call that as I see it. Yeah, my you know honestly, the only concerns for me on the blue line <clears throat> is just getting rid of some of the some of the cap commitments. Um, you know, so Sakara's in his con- conditioning stint today, and. Uh, He's yeah, going to play down there a bit. Six days, right? That's the that's the rule. Something like that, yeah. yeah. And then so he's going to be back up with the club. Um, I, but again, he's a contract too. That you know, if there was any way that we could probably offload that, we would be much better off. Hey, if he could get back to where he was a couple years ago, I'd have no issues, right? Well, but that's it's a just the likelihood of a thirty-four-year-old guy coming back from some pretty serious injuries and then to get back to that level. It's a long shot, right? Oh yeah, hundred hundred percent. And like the guy hasn't played this year, and he barely played last year. Yeah. So and when he was in the lineup last year, to be fair, he was definitely he was an impact player for sure, to a, to a certain extent. But well, he was our know. number one when he played that full season. Yeah. Which, so you know, it's just one of those things that allows everybody to slide into their proper spot in the order right because right? it's about a minute management thing is where we run into when we run into problems is when we have the you know certain like you know you don't like gravel's done really well this year and i don't have a problem with him at all but he, you know the amount of minutes that he's going to be playing you know a lot of these guys they would be more successful with less minutes mm-hmm. again what you said about the krug thing was the same thing what happened what we did to justin schultz what we did to Justin Schultz was we were playing him top pairing minutes when he was a similar probably than for a Krug, an offensive threat, which he, when he was utilized in Pittsburgh, that's a great fit for him. As a third pairing D on the power play specialist, he's been money back there. Mm-hmm. He's had great consistent year after year with Pittsburgh. The fact that he even re-signed with them and everything. So, you know, could that be something like a Benning? Would a Benning be more successful there? Which what I find very interesting though, Benning is actually one of our only defensemen that actually has an above plus minus rating of a plus seven, which is interesting. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have believed that unless I saw it. And I think Benning's another one when he's playing too high in the order, right? He gets himself into trouble, and then the fans get on him. Yeah, and a lot of that isn't fair either because you know again we're we're talking about guys that are. And, and the Oilers have historically done this is played defensemen in positions that they shouldn't be in, you know, and it was one, one thing I agreed with. Um, I think it was even Bob Nicholson that said it is that, you know, we got to do better at developing these players and making sure that they stay in the AHL for a, a very good amount of time. Ken Holland from Detroit was a master at it. 
he would have he would have his guys. He would draft. He wouldn't draft the, the absolute best guys, but man, did he develop the shit out of them. And they wouldn't even get a sniff. They wouldn't even get a sniff of the NHL until they were really ready. And I think that that's one way we've failed, especially our defensemen too, is that we've rushed them. We've rushed all of them to be that way. So, you know, hopefully with Bouchard, that's the thing is like, I don't think, I don't see him up here for at least another two years. Really. He played well. I don't, don't, I'm not taking anything away from the kid. I'm just saying that he needs to have games and lots of minutes, big minutes before he gets to the NHL. If he's going to have long-term success, because we did it with all our draft picks. We try to get everybody in as fast as we can. And it's just, it's not the way Detroit built a successful program 30, 40 years on the basis of understanding is that they take time to develop. And hopefully the next GM of the Oilers can actually get that and stick with that plan. Uh, speaking of fun hockey, Jake, uh, what are you doing this Saturday night? <laughs> yeah, it's a Bears game, right? It's their final regular season game. It's against the Dinos. Wow. Now, I think we'll have to get that get out for that, eh? Yeah, so I took in the, the Bears games on the weekend. Yeah, and as some of our audience can tell, I was going to join you, but as you can see, I'm just getting over a cold. My voice is still not fully come back. The other reason we've kind of delayed this podcast, so apologize, but... This weather got in the way. <laughs> Where well, I'm just pulling. I, I just want to see. So the shots, they had 59 in the Friday night game. I got to get my calculator open here. And 59 shots. I should have had all this ready, but uh, let's see. Now I'm in the box score. 40. So they had. Uh, <laughs> what's that oh shit I should, I, I, that's bad that I even have to put that in the calculator so they had 99 shots over two games and uh, they won by a combined score of uh, 15 to 5 wow But that's like regular business for the Golden Bears, right? Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's. Uh, I, I think they've only lost one game this season. Oh, sorry, three. They've gone twenty-two, three and. Tw- uh, sorry, twenty-six games played, twenty-two and three. Uh, they're forty. But, and as always, they're one point behind Saskatchewan. Those Huskies every year. And Calgary, who they're playing on Saturday night here, in, uh, is in third place, and they're eighteen and six. So I would highly recommend it. Really entertaining hockey. It's on some nights, like especially when they're playing a team like Regina. It's kind of like the watching the Harlem Globetrotters play the Washington Generals. But you know, it's it's really really good hockey. And, and most people, if you haven't tried it, you'd be surprised. Anyway, that's my Golden Bears rant. I'm off it. We can go back to the others. Yeah, no, for sure. Um... It's good that there's a couple teams. I guess the Oil Kings are doing really well this year as well, so that's a promising. We might get playoffs one way or the other anyway, from the looks of it. Well, you you always get the playoffs in the U, at the U of A. So. Well, I'm saying with the WHL, though, with the oh, Oil yeah. Kings. Yeah, no, the Oil I think Kings they're, are I think for, they're like first. first in their div. Yeah, yeah. So that's, a, that's, that's an interesting turnaround from last year. So, so let me ask yeah. you this. What are you, what are you looking to see down the stretch here? Are you, do you want a playoff drive? Would you prefer them to tank? 
What do you think they should do at the trade deadline? Where, where are you at with all that? I don't think tanking really helps us. Um, if we can take if if we can take uh, an opportunity to offload some salary um, to a team that that thinks that one of our guys could add some extra firepower to their lineup, and we could offload some salary to give us some better options next year, I'd say go for it. Um, I would say this: this for me. Wow, I actually I had to think that through. Well, let's just say that they, I don't know. Like, there's a, there's a list of players they could get rid of, and I don't really know that that would hurt their chances of making the playoffs, right? Like, if, let's just say, let's say they offloaded Tobias Reeder or Lucic or, I don't know, those guys that have been really unproductive, I, and they only got peanuts for them back because that's probably all they're going to get. Like, that wouldn't bother me. Um because I don't see how that hurts their chances. Do you know what I mean? No, that's that's what I mean. Is that there's, you know, there's a piece in if if some GM out there thinks that one of our guys is a piece to their puzzle, you know, Keith Keith there should should, should be a no brainer for him. Is that what he wants to do and to set up for the next GM or for himself or whatever happens is next year? Is that I'm I'm going to tell you is that in the short term we're probably going to need to do something in free agency to make make something happen here. In order to do that, we need cap. <laughs> so it's um. But That's what I would be doing if I was the GM is trying to clear some salary because like we clearly need some different personnel in here. I don't I, I think Connor McDavid's being a good soldier by saying that they got the right guys in the room. I don't think they do. Well I don't I, think I don't think they do. I don't think Ken Hitchcock believes that. I don't think McDavid believes that. I don't think anyone I think we have to be careful that. when we talk about uh, you know the right guys in the room. It just it, it really this isn't a question of personality. This is a question of talent. And they just don't have enough of it. Well, that's what I mean. I don't, I'm not saying I, they could all be the best of buddies in the locker room for all I know. Yeah. That's not, that's not what I mean is that I just don't think that they have, you know, the, what they were supposed to be on for talent. And even some of it, they, most of these guys are actually playing as they're delivered. It's just, we had a very crappy GM who probably will never work in the NHL again after the stunts that he's pulled in the last two teams. Um, You know, Alex Chason has uh, indicated that he would like to re-sign with the Oilers. So that's going to be a really interesting contract to see, that, to that, see if there's really been change in the organization. Because if it was Peter Shirelli, we would re-up him for four for four or something like that. Yeah, it'd be 12 million bucks, right? At yeah. three years or whatever. Yeah, something stupid like that. See, the problem, the reason, like, I like Chason. I'd love it if he re-signed. Um... And this isn't really a criticism of the player. I think he is what he is, right? Uh, he's cool, definitely cooled off. But I think the problem is you look at the 17 goals, that's such an outlier for his career. And because he's already past 25, right? Um, I don't know that the there's nothing in his history that suggests he's going to be able to repeat it. But the worry is that you're going to end up paying him like a 20-goal score for three or four years, but you only get one 20-goal year out of him. Is that fair? Yeah. Well, I and I think I think a lot of it he's been able to just capitalize on the fact that no one else has scored for Edmonton. He's been able to capitalize on his chances this year, and good for him for that. Is it repeatable? Probably not. You got to also look at it if if 
a GM comes in, is able to make a few moves, Chason's depth and ice time is going to drop dramatically. Because really, in, in Washington, he wasn't a top six. He wasn't a top six forward. The Edmonton, in only in Edmonton, is he a top six forward? Yeah, so like, you know, like figure, let's say next year, um, Pulley Arvey or Yamamoto or somebody else that they acquire really figures it out and becomes like, you know, a bona fide top line right winger. And then Chason's not seeing minutes with McDavid anymore. <coughs> and yeah. then not only that, even if he was still seeing minutes with McDavid, it would have been, it was the same concern I had for Patrick Maroon applies to the concern I have for them re-signing Chason is not that Maroon was a bad player by any means. I mean, he had an awesome year that one year where he's almost 30 goals. But you can see when he's away from McDavid, look at what's going on with him in St. Louis this year. You're not seeing anywhere near that level of production, right? Yeah. So that's just, that's the concern is like, you know, they go and throw him and they don't have cap space to begin with. So, um, so let me. How about this? What number would make you be like, oh, okay, that's fine. Um, two for two. I would agree with that. I would lean more towards giving him a one, give him the same contract that they gave Toby Reader this year. Here's two million bucks. Prove it. Yeah. Either like a one for two or two or sorry two for four, I guess I would say. So two million a year for two years. And but like, you, and then have an un, and then have an unwritten you know an unwritten agreement with the, the agent. Okay, so we give him the, the one year for two million. He scores. He gets me another twenty goal season. Then I'll give him you know two for two point five. You can put you can put tons of you can put tons of signing bonuses in there. Yeah. That's the thing. That's the stuff. A lot of stuff doesn't show up, right? So there, there's a there's a bunch of incentives, right, that can be in there, mm-hmm. um, which I agree. Which I mean, you know, maybe our GMs need to utilize those more. Um, is to say, you know, like not so much on the term, but more on the and, and on the amount, but more on to the incentives to say, well, if you do this, achievable goals, you know. But mm-hmm. again, we don't have we're not privy to all those 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 details, right? So we don't actually know in some cases what, what all the bonuses and incentives each one of these players have. Right. So um, that's definitely a, a way to, to go about it. But like I said, if it was Shirelli, it'd probably be four, four, you know, well, he's not here anymore. So, yeah, but like, so, but that's, but that's what I'm looking for is to see that chase on contract to see, are we, you know, cause he didn't make those decisions alone, John. No, no, that's why I'm still and thinking that. That's I don't why. know. I don't know who the hell is in charge of their pro scouting. But if that guy hasn't been kicked to the curb yet, because like the thing is, I don't know. Like I don't. I, I'm curious of where Keith Gretzky falls in all this. He was a longtime assistant. It was usually the assistant GM also defers a lot towards the pro scouting. From what I read, and and listeners, or you can correct me if I'm wrong, but. From what I've read about Keith Gretzky, he was more more focused on the player development and building the farm system side. Yeah, which is what I've heard, right? So, yeah. so then who who is doing the pro scouting? Because we probably have the worst in the league. Oh, and that's been for a while. I mean, yeah, you know, this is uh, 
this is one of those things that's it, this isn't new. This was not new under the last GM. This has been something that's been curious for a while. I mean, there's been uh, a never-ending stream of um, guys brought in that didn't really live up to what they were supposed to be. Uh, and I would say not just their pro scouting in the NHL, but the guys that, that, that for a long time were scouting the KHL for them, right? Um, you know, how many years ago was it that they signed that guy that was supposed to be the best defenseman out of the NHL, outside of the NHL from the KHL? Was that Belov? Yeah, yeah. Right? And we saw how that played out. And you're right. It's not one thing. And I think that likely what it is is it's, you know, as much as um, people like to believe in, you know, conspiracy and the boogeyman and all that kind of stuff, I think what it is is it's, 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 it's likely a cultural problem. Well, and that's and I and I've heard it before, and it's interesting now that the even the talk shows and all like the mainstream radio media are really getting onto this too. Is that you know if if we don't make the playoffs this year, we could definitely put that on Shirelli. But then next year, this is really on Nicholson. You know, really, that's and and then that's where I would say, well, I think the culture was there when when these guys came in. Because this isn't four years of failure. This is, you know, almost 15. Yeah. So but... I would, uh, well, 2008, no, almost, well, 11, I guess. Well, he's uh, got a chance to pick another GM. So make it happen. But the next season will be on him. Because it'll oh, be sure. based on his decisions, right? And Because you can't fire the owner. No, but I'm just saying, like, I'm not... You know, I'm not going to comment on that, like the internal politics that happens within the Oilers. I'm just saying that, from an as an outsider, when when I've been in bad companies, so it seldomly was the product. It was most likely it was the it more times than not it was the culture, right? Oh yeah. Um, and however that's formed, and it's not always formed at the ownership level. It's you know. But at the end of the day, the owner's responsible for it. So, when when you you see a business go bad and the pro, and it's not a product thing, like it's not like, um, uh, you know, you're you had a VHS store and DVDs come out, like I'm, it, that's that's problem. Well, Sean, I'll tell you, it's not the water. No, no. Everyone knows what it is, and it's like you said, and it's culture. And it starts at the top. Right. And I think that, honestly, I think that people forget that Kevin Lowe was actually a fairly good general manager. I mean, that that cup run doesn't happen in 06 without some of the moves that he made, right? Well, he was a better GNG. He was a better general manager when they had an ownership group that held him accountable. And no money. And no money. And, And no money. So did he just wake up stupid one day? I don't think so. No, it was a. You can tell him we went through this in the last podcast. If you can look through all the years and the records, it's been dismal since Kate has Kate's has bought this team, forcibly purchased this team from that group. And yeah, we got a new building and everything, which is great, but it, the culture has just been abysmal in this organization. And and even the me- mainstream media is is acknowledging this that it's this is where it's coming from. So. 
that this is not this is not a conspiracy theory anymore. This isn't like some just some one small ranting podcaster. This is almost becoming doctrine and fact that the oil Edmonton Oilers have a huge culture problem, and it starts with Daryl Cates. Hundred percent. But can't well, do anything about the oiler, uh, the the owner. Can't fire the owner. So. You know, and yeah, I would just say it's a culture problem. I don't know where, where, what, where, like on my side, I, w- I wouldn't necessarily say that I know the internal workings well enough to say that it's one particular uh, person. What I would say is just, you know, based on my own life experience, is when something continues to fail and it's not a product problem. Well, then... but you've changed the product. You've changed the product. You've changed the personnel. You've changed everything. Yeah. No, you've changed gonna... the building. You've changed the venue. You've you in a, in a science experiment. We have eliminated all control aspects except one. There's only one common denominator with all those ten years of failing. Well, there's obviously. A, I mean, that's what I'm saying. There's a, there's a culture problem, and until they root whatever whatever that is, or whatever the the causes are, unless they fix that, uh, you know, that's just the way it organize. That's why. They're called an organization, right? Because there's a, there's a cohesiveness to the whole thing, and if one part's not working, the rest is not going to. So, um, oh yeah, did you? Did, so did you want them to make the playoffs, or are you one of these people that's already saying let's lose for Hughes? No, I want. I want. No, that's it's just it's absurd. The last thing we need is a first pick again. <laughs> It's the absolute last thing. That's not what's going to save us. This is a team that we're actually going to have to bring in players that other teams have developed for us. My draft party days are over. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. We're not good at it. We're not good at developing players. So let's start, let's start, you know, offloading some salary and let's start looking at players that have been developed by teams that are better at it. That are already developed. That's how we're going to fix this. I'd like to say that we're going to develop through their system. Our system is not good. We're well, not good at but, developing you know, players. But this is one thing that uh, a lot of people have either spoken or written about since Shirelli was let go is that the one thing that him and Keith Gresky did manage to do was build up, finally, the Oilers' farm system. And if you look what's going on down in Bakersfield for the first time in a long time, and I, it's hard to argue that they didn't do a good job with the farm system because Bakersfield actually has prospects playing in Bakersfield that are actually – uh, impact players down there where for the longest time it was just like AHL journeyman after AHL journeyman after, you know, um, so that part's looking better because Bakersfield's having a really good year. Uh, the goaltender down there starts having a pretty good year. Apparently Ethan bears really picked it up. Uh, they got that Hibbig guy down the middle down there. Um, you know, so there, there are some positives coming in the, in sort of from the, the prospect thing. And I think, and this goes back to my, my point in, in the initial, uh, when we started the podcast is I think Shirelli did so many head scratching things that created such a negativity in an already overly, uh, shell shocked fan base that it's so easy to go from zero to 110 negativity without going taking a step back and go, Hey, I mean, we've got, Two centermen, they're on pace to score 100 more or more points. Our farm team's pretty good. Bouchard's coming up from the, you know, from the OHL, and we're we could be one point out of the playoffs 
at the end of the at the end of today, right? So I don't know. I'm just trying to keep it positive, man. No, it's, you brought up a good point about the about the farm system. Now it's finally kind of turning around. But like I said, it all is going to depend on how we manage those assets going forward. Is what's going to do it for me because what we've done in the past is mismanage those assets, which made us very lousy at development. So we get the opportunity to have some good players, but then we end up destroying them by putting them in when they're not ready, putting them in situations that they can't succeed. And that's that's my point to that. You are correct about the farm system, but how we manage those players going forward will be a real tell as to oh, where yeah. we can move as an organization. But before we were horrible at it, we have not been good at developing players properly. So oh, that's my final take on that one. But yes, I say get in the playoffs, get in the playoffs. Um, even if we lose a couple of guys that we can offload some salary and really plan to build for next year. But I highly suggest maybe bringing in, looking into bringing some players that have been developed by other teams that know how to do it. That's my take. Oh yeah. No, no, I'm not saying that Baker Field's going to save this thing. Uh, I just, it's nice to, I was just saying this, it's nice to see that, uh, they finally have a, a, a farm team that's actually playing some of their prospects and those prospects are playing, playing fairly well. So, um, we need a, we need a top right winger and we need a top D man minimum to move the needle for this team. Well, Jay, you're sounding pretty hoarse again. So, uh, <laughs> time to cut her down. That's yeah. about all I got for today. But here, 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 here uh, parting thought. When you, uh, when you tweet this episode, I want you to hashtag it. I'm with McDavid. I'm with McDavid. Yeah. Okay. And that's in reference to his comment about, you know, it's missed about the, uh, we're only three points out of the playoffs. Uh, yeah. So hashtag I'm with McDavid. So let's, let's now that, uh, now that ding dong, the witch is dead and Shirelli's left. Let's, uh, let's get back to some of the positivity. Cause, uh, Hockey can be fun sometimes, and I think we forget that. Sounds good. I look forward to watching the game tonight. Okay, prediction. Quick prediction, then we'll let you go. 4-1 Chicago. <laughs> okay, I'll flip it on you. I'll go 4-1 Edmonton. All right. Okay, right, hey, before, we, before we sign off, where do, where do people find us? Uh, so they can find us on the Facebook page at the uh, Oil Rig Pod. Uh, they can reach us on email at oilrigpod at gmail.com or they can follow us on, tra- on Twitter at oilrigpod. All right, man. Well, uh, I'll talk to you soon, Jay. You rest that boy. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks.